Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports. I'm Jason Springer with Jeff Cohen. Jeff Rutberg is out recuperating again this week, and we wish him well. We hope to have him back soon. We're back with you on 610 AM Sports ESPN Radio and ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff Cohen, I have no idea how we are going to pack everything that is going on in the sports world into one hour. The NHL and NBA drafts are done. We'll take a second look back in the second segment with Bob Ford of the Philadelphia Inquirer. In the third segment, you are going to give me some legal advice and break down uh, why the Washington Redskins were victorious in a case they weren't even involved in. And then you'll someday you won't follow that advice. No, I, yeah. I'll probably get myself in trouble and, and do something wrong. And that's when I'll call you and get some additional legal advice, and you'll probably charge me for it. <laughs> if, if our listeners would like to join us on any of those topics, they can call in and join at 888-728-9941. Jeff, when I spoke to you last week, we were trying to get you on the air, a little uh, plane trouble. You were in Boston. Uh, I was on the thank- tarmac. Were you thanking Danny Ainge? I did. For- I decided to fly up to Boston, and I thanked Danny Ainge for making that draft trade. Okay, so you let's let's go back real fast before we get Bob Ford and talk about he it. He slammed the door in my face. <laughs> he he did. He yeah, wasn't cool with that. Yeah. Did you tell him that you didn't think what he did with the third pick was bad, or he just didn't <laughs> like that you weren't? Cool? I, actually, I didn't get to see him, but yeah. I, I will tell you that. I'm the... shocked he wouldn't make time for <laughs> you. I'm stunned. This is for those uh, not able to see on the radio. My surprised face is in front of Jeff Cohen right now. <laughs> Uh, okay, so but but you should hear the the people in Boston. I was going to ask you, what's man. the feel? Tell our listeners, what's the feel in Boston right now after they traded away angst. the first pick? Total angst. They did not want to trade away that pick. They wanted Markel Fultz. They've been waiting all season to draft Markel Fultz. If Danny Ainge doesn't score on this on this move, he's never going to live this down. They said that this is a legacy decision for him, despite all the good that he's actually done there. It's fascinating how that happened. You know, one decision can change everything. I'm not really sure what Boston's plan is right now. Uh, what, what were they saying on the radio up there? I don't, think I don't they, really care as a Philadelphia plan, fan, but... Right, I hope whatever plan they have doesn't work. But but the, but the plan they seem to have is nobody knows. Because the latest that, that I heard as That's recently as plan. today... What's yeah. your plan? Nobody knows. Well, they, Danny Ainge appears not to want to part with draft picks to get Paul George... But they can't decide. So they can't decide: is is our move to try to win now, or is our move to just keep trying to be good? Which, by the way, in Philadelphia, never goes over well. It seems like it's paralysis by analysis. Yes, and they're just stuck in a rut. Yeah. So we'll get back to that in the second segment with Bob Ford. But it was yeah, some analysis this week that got a uh, tennis pro in a little bit of hot water, correct? John McEnroe yeah, offered his take. Why don't you tell the listeners what happened if they're not familiar with it? And well, let's talk about it a little well, bit. Well, Johnny Mack actually got himself in hot water a couple days in a row. Johnny uh, Mack gets himself in hot water all the time. Yeah, but this isn't, just so everybody knows, this is not a new argument that he made. He made this argument a couple years ago, too. But for some reason, now it's getting legs. Uh, and I actually got to see him or hear him make this one of these arguments live, because I went to The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and he was there making that same argument. Did you argument. just, like, drop that you went to, like, a social thing? Did you drop that on the air? No, like, no oh, I, I, was not, I was not a guest of Stephen <laughs> Colbert. I was just an audience member. Just, just making sure. <laughs> hey, Stephen, how you doing? Just, just try, I mean, yeah. you're with Dan, trying to say you're with Danny Ainge one day and Stephen Colbert. I don't want the listeners to get the wrong idea yeah. about who I'm co-hosting You're just a little bit you. jealous. Is I, that it? Well, slightly. Yeah. I mean, I'm shorter than you, so I'm obviously jealous, but this definitely doesn't <laughs> you know, help. I haven't brought that up in, like, weeks. You haven't been here to bring it up, though, so now that you're back, you okay. can bring it up. I'll make sure to make a short joke at some point. Okay. But so back to the story. 
So John McEnroe was is is promoting a new book of his. I think it's called But Seriously. And it, as part of it, they were asking him about different tennis players. And the NP he was on NPR, and he was asked whether or not uh, what he thought of Serena Williams. And he said that she's the best female tennis player ever. Okay, so that got him in no trouble. Well, that, it, it was those words that appear to have led to him getting well, in trouble. Well, I think it was the he follow-up. He was being complimentary. I think it was the follow-up of what he said when he said what she would be ranked on the male tour well, that no, raised yeah, well, hackles. Well, what happened was he, he got a little unfairly attacked because the response by the NPR reporter is, why do you have to qualify it? Okay, and so what did he say when he, he was asked tr- that? He, tr- he tried hard. It's John McEnroe, okay? <laughs> so l- let's let's understand. He's not the most eloquent of speakers. Okay. But he was trying to make the argument that, wait, that's a different argument. If you're going to make the argument that she's one of the greatest tennis players of all time, she is historically. But he was trying to say that she, you can't say she's the best tennis player of all time if – tennis players were to play other tennis players which is true venus williams is not the i mean serena williams is not the best tennis player of all time if she has to face rafael nadal right so that was the point he was trying to make i love how you qualified trying so if he was trying to make that point Uh how did it come across how was it taken it was taken poorly because he (laughs) said that's generous i think he said she couldn't beat even the 700th best male player on the tour. To which I believe the 700th ranked male player actually re- responded. <laughs> I don't remember what he said. He probably didn't want to play her. But I definitely saw a response. So I'm a little, right. I-, I will say, I-, I miss Jeff Rutberg for this conversation. This, this, is, this, right is, up, Jeff, the, your, this, this is, is right up your alley. Exactly what, what he has wanted to talk about, men and women playing together against each other. Um, and they do play together. Remember, there is mixed doubles in, in tennis. So, But he doesn't want them playing on the same court. No, he wants them competing. He does want them playing on the same court, but he, he believes them... they should compete. Yes. And right. so he believes there should be no separate. We're speaking for him now, but from the arguments he's made in the past, both on and off the air to us, it, it's always been that men and women should compete. There should be no separate sex as sports. And so according to John McEnroe, there would be no competition. It would not. It, well, th- not that there wouldn't be competition, but that that the top male players would beat the top female players. Can I ask a very basic question? Yeah. Why is this a conversation that has to be had all the time? Why can't people just be good at what they're good at? Why does it? Uh, why do we always have to compare somebody to somebody else? And if they don't measure up by the eyes of the person hearing or reading it, then all of a sudden it's controversy. We do that with eras of sports. We do that with greatest teams ever, greatest players ever, right. greatest Look, positions ever. We just, it's we not just, just a male-female thing. Right. We just got through a, a, another NBA season where everybody's got to compare LeBron to Michael. To Michael. Yeah. And, 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 you can't just enjoy things. It has to be, you know, the, the Flyers make a draft pick. Who do you compare his style to? The right. Eagles draft a quarterback. But, but What's that, his but, style? But there's a nuanced difference between what you're talking about there and what McEnroe was attempting to talk about because it wasn't an era discussion necessarily. What his point is is that, that the top male players are going to beat the top female players. And people don't want to hear that and think that the second that you say something like that, somehow you mean it to be sexist. But but the reality of the situation is is Rafael Nadal is going to beat Serena Williams if both of them are in their prime. 
it, they're stronger. That's why their serve, the male serve, is so much faster than the female serve. So as good as they are, it, it's just not something that works. You know, Jeff has made the argument in the past about golf. And why don't they let women play on, on the male golf tour? Well, they do let them play on there, but they don't do it very often because they're not going to make any money because they don't do well. Look, there are some sports. I, I always bring up racing. Danica Patrick, been in the Indy 500. She's been in Brickyard 500. She races regularly against the men. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, she races just as well as any other male driver. Uh, and so there. Well, most. I don't think she's ever won a tournament. Has no, she, but there's, a race, there's plenty of male drivers in that, those, haven't, won a race. that haven't won a race. Right. So she's as good as any of them who can participate and be in there. Mm-hmm. So the the male female difference, depending on the sport, obviously, you know, the equipment that you have, golf has different equipment in terms right. of the ability to hit longer. They have different tee boxes. Well, I so just, that, so that's that's another thing. So when when I heard him say that, I went home that night. And I started to look to see. I've seen it in tennis because I know Michelle Wee has done it a bunch of times. She hasn't made the cut. There, there are other instances that I think we've talked about on the air before in golf. But I wanted to look in tennis. I didn't really want to look at the whole Bobby Riggs, Billie Jean King thing because Bobby Riggs was kind of a joke at the time. Um, but if you look, there was an instance involving Serena and, and Venus in their prime in 1998. It's hard to believe they've been around that long and have been good, that good for so long. But this was 1998 Australian Open. Oh my God. And a guy named Karsten Brash faced Venus and, and Serena and or had claimed that he could beat, that they could beat any male ta- player in the top 200. Brash happened to be ranked 203. He challenged them both. How'd it go? I don't think it went very well. No? Uh, he, he first took on Serena and beat her 6-1. Then he took on Venus and he beat her 6-2. Now, there's another instance for, for us older people who where Jimmy Connors actually faced Martina Navratilova. But it wasn't a fair match because what they did was is Jimmy Connors only got to use the single size to hit into. So it didn't include those lanes on the side for people who don't watch a lot of tennis. Martina got to hit into the double area, if I recall correctly. And then Jimmy Connors only got one serve before it was a fault, and Martina got the regular two. And Jimmy Connors won that one, uh, seven five six two. So it, from what we've seen historically, this, this keeps coming up once a generation. And let's face it, Serena is, is probably the best female athlete of all time. Is there a reason but, we can't just enjoy that skill? I think we can, but like, so, why do we? Have I don't to... know why they had to do that. I don't know why they they because I do believe that John McEnroe was kind of blindsided by that. He really was as as cranky a human being as he could be. Like he was trying to pay her a compliment, he, and then the follow up, he just was, totally he, look. He clearly was. Um, he's got daughters. He, I don't think that he was looking for uh, to to make news because he had a book coming out, which is, was one of the other suggestions I heard from people. It. It was clear he was trying to be complimentary, and we all just have to accept that, you know, that not everything is an attack, not everything is meant to be sexist, and in this case, there are differences. There, there there's a reason that on the male and female golf tours, as you mentioned earlier, the female tees are up closer to the hole. I just so so why can't why can't we let it go? And why isn't it good? I think it's good for for kids for girls. To have female role models, I think the WNBA is great. I think it's great for men to go see, but it but it 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 shows 
good role models for, for young girls. Same thing for tennis. If you don't think Serena and Venus have been huge role models for lots and lots of little girls, you're crazy. I mean, they have done great things, and it's because of that. If Serena and and Venus played on on the men's tour and there was no women's tour, do you think they'd be as big a deal? There's no way they would be because they wouldn't be getting to the finals all of the time. So then they wouldn't be out there to be role models. They wouldn't be out there for other girls to see that they could do something that good. So let's wrap this up. Is it Mm -hmm. fair what happened this week? To McEnroe? Yes. No. And I will tell you, as you know, when McEnroe played, there were three great tennis players, and you had to pick, basically had to pick, pick which one. one. It was Connors, McEnroe. it was McEnroe, and it was Lendl. Lendl. And I was a Connors guy. Okay. So I'm not. So you uh, have a hard time cutting McEnroe a break, even at this point. Yeah. You're kind of like in this case. You're kind of like Jeff with the scored scored fan ex girlfriend type thing. Like they leave you, <laughs> you make a choice, you can't go back that's, to it. That's right. But that, in, but in this case, and using the words of John McEnroe, I'm going to give him a break. Okay, when Jeff Rupperg's back in studio, I do want to ask him about this at some point because I just don't understand why the comparison's always needed. Like, why can't men be good on their own merits and women be good on their own merits? Because people want to create controversy. I understand that, but what's the relevance? Like, in the end, after you get over the controversy, what's gained? Okay, so so you think that Serena's actually the 600th best woman. Great, that was an awesome argument. I just don't understand. To me, those arguments are pointless. There's no way to ever prove it. Mm-hmm. People just make comments to make themselves feel better. They're not really educated enough to know how successful somebody would be or not. Look, in my mind, it's very simple to say that Serena Williams is one of the greatest tennis players of all time. Period. Period. That's it. But I don't need to rank them one against another. Yes, male versus female. I, I mean, uh, anybody, for anybody to say that she's not one of the greatest tennis players of all time is crazy. Uh, but, to say, but to also say that she would beat any male te- tennis player is also crazy. They, they can both, you can hold both opinions. Exactly. Right. And they're not conflicting uh-huh. with each other. And I, I honestly think that's what McEnroe meant. But did not but say it artfully. It just didn't come out. The so way. you should offer some assistance, <laughs> a little legal assistance. Say, um, you know, Mr. McEnroe, I could help you say that better. Uh huh. You should try that next time. Yes. Okay. We've we've kind of taken that a little bit, and now I want to go back to my long-suffering nightmare of being a Flyers fan. Um, I love the Flyers. I've always been a huge hockey fan. Yeah. Um, today we signed. Brian Elliott, or we're going to sign Brian Elliott from St. Louis. They could have signed Billy Elliott he, instead. It, he it, will be our 13th goalie since 2009-2010. Why are we signing another 30-plus-year-old goalie? Because we decided not to sign the other one, Steve Mason, so we needed a new <laughs> one. I mean, you've got to make sure that you replace it on, on what's going on here. But, Do you but, really not like the... I happen to think that they believe that Neuberth is the holdover to their younger players, and Elliot is sort of a bridge to get you there also. I don't I, think he's a long-term I solution. guess, but st- isn't Stolarz that guy? I mean, he has a chance to be good. We don't know much about him, but he's there. Why can't he beat the backup goalie and bring up some of these other younger guys so that they can play in Lehigh Valley? I mean, you look at Billy. When when I looked at Brian Elliott's stats, I for some reason I thought he was better at some point than he actually was. <laughs> <laughs> I think when he was with the Blues. But if you look at his last few seasons, the most games he started last year it was forty five. The year before that it was thirty eight. The year before that it was forty five. These are games started out of eighty two. 
The year before that, it was 20. The so year it, before that, is 20. Can I make a snarky comment that yeah. we can fit well in Philadelphia? <laughs> we don't have players that play full seasons <laughs> and then right And then Jeff can boo him, and he'll get better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's going to be our goalie. Uh-huh. Um, the, the Flyers. No, uh, hopefully the, that's going to be our backup, our backup goalie, I guess, right? So uh, Braden Chen, no longer a Flyer. That I don't get at all. Okay. I really so don't. let's go back to the draft last week mm-hmm. and, and recap where it started. The Flyers made the pick at number two with Nolan Patrick. Hopefully they lucked into something. The, it's not like they had to think that one. The Devils took Nico. Right. Uh, I'll let somebody else say his sure. last name. There you yeah. go. I don't want to butcher the guy's name. I feel <laughs> He's bad. not here. You can butcher it all you want. Yeah, I can butcher anybody's yeah. name. Don't Don't worry. So Patrick gets very good reviews. There was a question about his health last season yeah, in terms of injuries. injuries. First season, he's really had injuries from what I saw going the back. The Sixers he's... are going to use him now, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, man. I'm trying real hard to, to have a good conversation with you about this. And, and I mean, the next thing you're going to say, he's, like, taller than me or something. And that's well, that's, that's a given. That's if, where it's going to If he's shorter to. than you, it was a bad draft. Pick. So he's, they say he's very competitive. Yes. Um, he, there is a thought that he may be with the big team this year. Yes. Um, not really sure whether they'll they'll make that move. But then... They decided to move Shen. Your thoughts on both the draft pick and the move? Well, I, I, which one? As far as Patrick, I like the move. Because okay. There were there were two guys in this draft that, as in the top tier. It was that simple. So that the Flyers had the second one. Who did they take? They got they took the guy that was left. Fortunately for them, Nolan Patrick, the guy they took, is supposedly the better of the two prospects. He just has. A little bit of an injury history. We got to hope that it's not a lot more. Why, it, we just need but. to record that as a caveat to add into our comments <laughs> for any sport we're talking about. And it's like the Eagles will be good this season as long as they stay healthy. Exactly. The Sixers will be good this year as if they can stay, stay on healthy. the court. I mean, you, you could just play that for any team. The injuries with the Phillies right now. The you know, with all the great doctors we have in the city of Philadelphia, you think that we could get how somebody is it healthy? that we can't get somebody in here that's healthy? We'll have to call Jeff's doctor who just did his knee and see <laughs> see what we can get about that. But uh, but this the guy that they took, uh, you know, they, it was Braden Shen that they got rid of. He's young, he's good. I think he scored twenty five goals last year. He's got upside. He's likable to the city. I don't understand that trade for a guy. They they got this guy Laterra back, who makes for- four point seven million dollars. The last three years, he had 44 points, 34 points, and 22 points last year. And this is for an offenseman. So I don't understand what the point is of getting him. And then the guy that they took with the the pick is a guy they say is at least three years out. Assets. Assets in hockey just it doesn't work. It's not the I, same thing. I just I I wasn't sure. Look, I was happy with the Patrick pick. I was I was happy with a couple of the other picks they made. And of course, nobody really knows. I mean, this is all crapshoot anyway. Mm-hmm. You, the you, third pick they took, everybody loves though. Said that he was they got him higher. He's six than, six. Yeah, and, and they say he's a big guy that uses his body. Kind of like a Lindros kind of body type that he's got. He's got to fill into it a little bit. But they say he might be ready in a year. I hope so. And then we lost Pierre Edward Belmar. Why did the Vegas Golden Knights take him of all the players? Available? I'm thinking leadership. That's the the only that's the only thing I could think of. Was it skill set? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why they couldn't take Stephen Mason <laughs> is beyond me. But they got a good goalie. They got Flurry. So if you're, I mean, an expansion team to get a goalie that is that good, that was a good. That's move a great move by them. That was a very good move yeah. by them. Uh, Jeff, why don't you take us to break, and then when we come back, we'll talk a little basketball. Do I have to? 
Well, you don't have to. We oh. can keep talking on the air if you want. <laughs> I mean, whatever you'd like. Well, our, our advertisers might care, but. You're listening to The Heart of Sports, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Bob Ford of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Stay tuned. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. And we're back with the heart of sports. Did you miss us? Well, we are back and ready to take some more sports calls. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 888-728-9941. But right now, we're going to be joined by our special guest. We are thrilled to be joined on the line by Bob Ford, award-winning sports columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer, four-time Pennsylvania Sports Writer of the Year. Bob, exciting time of year in the NBA and for the Sixers. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Good. Good to be with you guys. Thanks so much for coming on. The past seven days have been uh, pretty crazy, a little, little bit active, not only in Philly, right? Yeah, no, it's been an interesting uh, sort of change of the landscape and, you know, more steps forward for the for the Sixers. And, yeah, looking forward to seeing what it brings, especially when we're looking into, you know, the new uh, league year beginning uh, tomorrow and, and what that will, will entail for everybody. So should I stay up at midnight tonight to watch for the trades to be announced? <laughs> I get the feeling you're going to whether I tell you to or not. So. See, and that's why my wife doesn't like what I do. That's <laughs> one of those things. Yeah, that's really, the reason. Yeah, no, that's not the only reason. Don't worry. Um, Jeff, go ahead. Take it away. So so why don't we start with the big news here, Bob, um, Markel Fultz. Um, what are your thoughts on Markel Fultz as the first player taken in this draft and the guy that the Sixers are now leaning on as their next uh, great player? Uh, well, I think it was – pretty much a unanimous opinion across basketball that he was the best talent out there, uh, all-around talent to be had in the draft. And so if you move up to one, it was kind of, kind of an obvious pick, not that much different from the pick they had last year with Simmons, where he was also sort of uh, acclaimed by everyone as being the, the best talent out there. So it, it's hard to argue with getting the guy who everyone says is the best player coming into the draft and moving up to get him. So I, right now it looks like a terrific move. How, how draft picks pan out, as we know, over the years, some better, some worse, some right where you expect them to be. Uh, I, I do think it's an exciting pick, and I think Sixer fans should, you know, are excited about it and should be. Yeah, Bob, is is he a good fit for the backcourt? Because 
All, all we keep hearing from Brett Brown is that the plan is to make a 6'10 guy our point guard. And now we've drafted, drafted a 6'4 guy to be the shooting guard. Is, is that the way that it's going to work? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but but it, it does sound good. And it, I was going to say, it work. sounds and good. <laughs> it sounds good. And, and let's face it, Jeff uh, Brown has been in his gym with Ben Simmons for a full year, and we haven't. And he's seen things that we haven't. Obviously, we haven't seen anything of the guy pretty much. So if he says he thinks he can be, you know, they don't – they're kind of shying away from using that term point guard now. Now they're just using primary ball handler, and who knows what that means in terms of where he's going to actually be on the court when he's bringing it up and then distributing and so forth. But let's say that he is their primary ball handler. I don't see Fultz as a true off guard if in the old parlance of, you know, he's going to be the guy who's spotting up. And when you get pick and rolls, you're going to be punching it out to him, and he's going to knock it down. He had decent shooting numbers in college. That doesn't always translate to the NBA, as we know, three-point lines a yard farther back. And uh, you have to get your own shot in the NBA, which he hasn't proved that he can do yet either. So as far as it working out the way you laid it out as, you know, a point guard, 6'10 guy, and then Fultz is just sort of out there without the ball, uh, as a shooting guard, I don't think that's going to be the case. I, for one thing, I think Fultz is too good with the ball to totally take it out of his hands and not let him be a distributor and a penetrator and a guy who is a playmaker with the ball. So I think it's going to be a shared role, and maybe it's going to be somewhat dominant on Simmons, but I think Fultz is going to have the ball an awful lot. With some of the European players, it looks like the second first-round pick, the seven-foot-two uh, player, may not come over this year. He may stay over, but Corkmoss is, is being wait, talked wait, about. Wait, 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 wait. You, you tried to skate past that without saying that guy's name, so you're you're going to have to at least try it. Andres Pashetnik. <laughs> How'd I do? <laughs> did I do okay, I Bob? I did great, because I'm, I'm not trying it. So <laughs> See, Jeff doesn't mind throwing me under the bus as That's I try right. and skate by it. He'll do it right on the air. I was trying to be generous, and I just don't want to tear up people's names. It, it's not their fault that I can't pronounce them. <laughs> but um, it looks like he's going to stay over in Europe, but we're going to end up seeing uh, Corkmoss come over this year with the buyout. Uh, how do you feel about some of those plans in terms of the long-term, short-term draft and stash that the Sixers are doing and have done? Well, I think with as many young players as they have and as many draft picks as they have, they almost have to do that because even for a team that hasn't won very many games for four years, they just don't have that many roster spots when you start, you know, tallying up who, who they've got. Corkmoss, uh, as you said, with the buyout situation, it's an awfully expensive buyout. So, you know, until it's done, I'm, I'm not sure I'm fully, fully believing it's done. But uh, And I don't even know who he's going to be in the NBA. But, that was yeah, my next question. Have, what is he? <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea. I don't know what his position is. I, I don't know if he's got a position in the NBA. But he's very interesting. You know, he, he's interesting in that he, he could do a lot of things well. I'm not sure he could do anything excellently. That's sort of the way I read him. I was a little confused because the buyout seems to be more than his salary would be here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about that. <laughs> yeah, and the, oh, the, the NBA. <laughs> yeah, and the Sixers, as you know, are constrained by how much they are allowed to to contribute to that buyout, and maybe let's face it, how much they want to contribute to that buyout. And so it doesn't really make mathematical sense. Uh, I thought Saric, who may have cost himself a little bit of money by coming over a year early. But, you know, let's face it, uh, Istanbul isn't exactly the greatest place to be right now, so it made more sense from 
from a no, I'm not trying to make a joke. I mean, no, I know it's it's, it's but, a but from a lifestyle standpoint, that made a lot more sense to me than Korkmaz. But you know, if the Sixers' biggest problem is whether or not they've got Korkmaz this year, then they don't really have any problems. Let's put it that way. Any thoughts on the second round picks, Jonah Bolden? It looked, looked like uh, Ben Simmons' dad played with his dad. Brett Brown knows him going back. You have the uh, point, the power forward from France. Sterling Brown from SMU. Any thoughts on on the potential for them to be on the roster or make an impact? Uh, I'd be surprised if any of them do. I think probably there's probably going to be some more, uh, you know, draft and stash there going on. Uh, No idea about the power forward. I mean, they certainly need a four, but they need a guy who can can shoot, you know, the stretch forwards in the parlance of the day. And I don't think he's that guy. Uh, there's interest in some of the UFAs, the UFA from, from Indiana, the shooting guard, who had really decent shooting numbers in, in college, but there's a reason he wasn't drafted, of course. And, you know, so those guys, once you get out of the sec- uh, first round and you're down into the second round and then into the UFAs, it's really a crapshoot. It's really fine to take a look at all these guys and see if anything pans out with them. But I don't think it's anything where right now they have to be on the, on the front of your radar. Let's talk a little bit about the excitement around this team. After a couple of really tough years for this fan base, you're seeing season tickets sell out with 14,000 season tickets plans sold. Vegas is saying that the Sixers have the sixth best chance to make the NBA championship. Are people setting the bar too high? Do we need to pump the brakes a little bit? We got two rookies starting in the backcourt. We we got guys that have barely played over 50 games in the league. They're going to be our prime players. Do, Do we need to relax a little bit? Well, I think uh, fans don't have to. Uh, I think <laughs> that's people, why we're fans. People like I, exactly. I mean, people who are who are paid to sort of look at these things and step back, which is part of what I do. You know, are for sure pumping the brakes. But the, you know, a couple of tough years, four dreadful years. I mean, just awful stuff with a band of gypsies coming through, and you never knew who was going to be on the court next. And you're, uh, you know, trading away your cap space to get guys who never play for you, and you're. Uh, it, it was just horrendous, horrendous time. I was trying so to be generous. Should, yeah, I know. <laughs> but people should, people should be excited. And one thing about sports and what sells tickets and what sells excitement is star value. And, you know, the Philadelphia Phillies, for instance, don't have any right now. And the Eagles do in, in one player, perhaps. Uh, maybe a couple others to an extent. But the, but the Sixers, two number one picks in a row – and then throw in Embiid, who is just this ridiculous, uh, enjoyable personality on top of this incredibly untapped potential, and he's a monstrous guy. He's, it's just really, really exciting. And I can certainly see people buying into, you know what, in the NBA, you don't need 15 great guys like you do in the NFL. You don't need three great starting pitchers and a whole bunch of hitters and great fielders like you do in baseball. And you were talking hockey on the way in before I before I got on. I have no idea what you need in hockey, but I know that it, but I know that in basketball you can do it with a couple three guys and some good piece players around them. So yeah, people have that excitement. And if you need to pump the brakes, I don't think it's necessarily about the talent levels, but it's certainly about, especially with MB, it's about the ability to stay on the court, uh, with Simmons' the ability to get on the court, for instance. And the rest of them to sort of have this strategy and this vision that that Brett Brown uh, sees for the team actually coalesce and come together and and work as a a cohesive unit. That's an awful lot of stuff that has to happen. 
And for a team that's in that situation to sell 14,000, uh, you know, full season equivalencies uh, is, is amazing, just stunning. And I think it speaks to just how good a basketball town this can be, how much the star value of those guys is, and how completely starved this city is for, for a winner right now. Without so, yeah, I, yeah, should fans pump the brakes? I don't want to tell them that in, in June and July. I may tell them that in October November, <laughs> but let's let them enjoy it for a little while. Yeah, to me it's amazing. Joel Embiid's personality is bigger than his 7-2 frame. He he is oh, a guy. He's stunning. He's just a stunning guy. Yeah, I mean, even last year, the few you know, the few games that he was on the court, his personality just took. If you were in the arena for any of those games, he just takes over the building. People wait for him to come in the game, and there are so few players in the NBA or any sport that that can be that larger than life. I think that that's something. If he can stay healthy. No matter how good all the other players are, he's going to be the leader. That's the, that's the role I see him taking. Uh, yes, and if he can stay healthy, you're going to play the game right through him. I mean, even though that this is not a you know a center dominant game anymore, he's the kind of guy who you can do it with. And and you're right, his personality is so big. Anybody who doesn't watch him when he's on the floor and just smile, just you just get a kick out of him. There's something wrong with you. Yeah. So now, now we're a little less than seven hours away from the free agent frenzy, right? So if 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 <laughs> yeah. if, if, if you're the Sixers general manager, where are you going first? Well, uh, it's maybe more brake pumping, but and Brian Colangelo has uh, alluded to this that everything is so new. I mean, these three guys have not played a tick on the floor together. These three main guys, you can throw in Sarge if you like that. Until they really have played together, and maybe for a half a year, or maybe for a full year, or maybe you get to the trade deadline, or you know whatever, they don't know exactly what they need, because it might be that you're going to find out in the first two months of the season. Ben Simmons has to be at a forward position. Okay, he's he's got to go to three. This just isn't working for one reason or another. He can't pick and roll defend. We can't have him out there where he's being exposed by other guards, regardless of how you think you can put this thing together where he's not going to be in that position. Uh, other NBA coaches are pretty sharp and there's not a whole lot of magic Johnson's out there. So you might know in two months that, Hey, Ben Simmons has to be a point forward. If you want to call it point forward, but he's got to be at the three and we've got to have two reasonably sized guards, reasonably agile, reasonably able to defend and run pick and rolls on the backcourt or on the perimeter, however you want to say that. So, but we don't know that yet. So that will affect what free agents and what pieces you would have thought about going out and getting. Can Dario Saric develop a better outside shot? There's nothing broken about his shot. It's not a horrible shot, but it hasn't been a very good outside shot. It has been a very good three-point shot. Can he develop into a stretch four, or do you have to go get that guy? You know, take some more pressure off Embiid, assuming that Embiid is not always just sort of roaming around the court, that he's somewhere around the low box. So there's so much in my mind that we don't know about how these pieces are going to fit together and how the pieces are going to develop and how they're going to be able to be forming, you know, a cohesive unit that to spend an awful lot of money, long-term contracts on free agents who may either become superfluous or may become just not fits, to me would not be, you know, that smart an idea. And as I said, Brian Colangelo has alluded that, hey, you know, we've got some interesting pieces. We might be ready to make a little push. We might be ready to certainly get 
into the conversation of being around the playoffs. You know, nobody wants to say that word out loud quite yet within the organization. <laughs> Embiid does. To, yeah, well. And yeah, false. But doesn't, he, but doesn't he want to say? But until we get a little bit more towards that point, I would be surprised if they went big, big money and long, long term on an elite, elite free agent. Yeah, and I'm, I wasn't even thinking about a, a long-term elite guy. What I was thinking about is right now you have all this youth that you have to somehow corral the enthusiasm a little bit, and you have to teach them how to win. And right now I don't see who on the Sixers is is that guy who's going to be the veteran leader that's going to tell them when to throttle back, that's kind of put their, their, their foot on their throats to say, hey, look, you got to stop this. The people that are they're going to lead in the locker room, I don't know who that guy is now. Embiid may be that guy, but it seems like with every really good young team, for them to get into a position to really win, they need to have somebody there who has won. And, and let's face it, the last two picks the, the Sixers have had, the number one picks, don't come from winning teams in college. So wouldn't it be a good idea to go out and get somebody who fits that veteran leadership role? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, two number one picks back-to-back. It will never happen again. Nope. Uh, US, U.S. players who never played a tick in the NCAA tournament. And you could throw you could throw Embiid in there too, by the way. Right. Uh, but he was hurt. although although yeah. he wasn't the number, although he was the number one pick. Yeah. No, I agree with you. That, and I think those kind of guys are out there, guys who are towards the end of their career, who you can get for a couple year contract that you know, a, a decent money, but not crazy money. You know, a guy who will act the role that that an Aaron McKee did on one of those Sixer teams that he played on. Uh, you know, a, a Ty Hill. Those, those kind of guys. Just someone that you know, what what they hoped. Elton Brand could have done it a couple of years ago, but he obviously didn't have anything left to do that with on the floor. Right. But yeah, I would expect that. And Colangelo has said that too—that he feels they need something of a, of a uh, you know, grown-up figure for want of a better word. And and I would, I would say that that's probably going to happen. As far as names out there and who it might be, your guess would be as good as mine. So let me ask you: We have now have Jimmy Butler is out of the East. He's in Minnesota. Uh, Chris Paul is now with the Rockets. Phil Jackson is out in New York. What are your yeah. thoughts on some of the the nonstop <laughs> moves and speculation? You've got the Paul George talk, or the Spurs shopping Aldridge. Uh, so much going on. Any thoughts? Uh, honestly, Phil Jackson leaving New York that might that might be addition by subtraction for the next. Boy, you talk about something that. <laughs> Something that didn't work. I kept saying to no, Jeff that I'd, I'd be going crazy if I was a Knicks fan before the draft. With they should they should have done it before the draft yeah. instead of afterwards. Oh yeah. Uh, honestly, it it seems like we're, we're we are having sort of a you know a rat going through the snake bump of a lot of this stuff going on right now. But it might not be that much more than than any other given year. It may just be that some very high profile guys found themselves able to get on the market or or, or uh, be moved. At, at the same time, and it, it might just be somewhat coincidental. It's it's a lot of interesting shakeups, that's for sure. I, I mean, I'm going to be very interested to see if the Sixers would take the run at a, at a shooter like Redick, you know, if, if something like that. If uh, I'm going to be interested to see who lands Gordon Hayward, assuming he moves. Yeah, I think uh, he said today yeah. he's going to opt out. So I, I saw that he was going to opt out. Sometimes that that means that you think you can get a better deal where you, where you are. Uh, I mean, if Boston gets Gordon Hayward, you know, Look out. Price of poker, the price of poker went up a lot 
and and that's going to be a very good team for a while. And uh, I almost you almost hate to have, to have made that trade a little bit with them in the in the division because they got what they wanted, I think. And obviously the Sixers did too. But uh, you know, giving up the first round pick to them, and now they've got an awful lot of they've all got an awful lot of weapons to go out and get some stuff in the near future. So it's going to be interesting, and, and yeah, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I'm seeing what happens, uh, but it's an exciting time, as you said. Fans are very, very excited, but there's still an awful long way to go for the Sixers. And uh, as far as they've come, and they've come an awful long way, it's 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 still not there yet. But we're certainly enjoying it more and, and feeling a lot more optimism than we did a couple of years ago. It's good to feel that way for a change, huh? It it definitely oh, yeah. is. Hey, before you before we let you go, um, we've talked a lot of basketball with you. We know you're a you're a horse racing guy. Um, Jeff and I talk a little bit about horse racing. We we had talked a little bit about, about the Triple Crown and the sort of lack of excitement when there wasn't a Triple Crown. Any thoughts on the the state of the the industry right now? Or are people fading out? Thoughts on that? Uh, well, it gets back to what we were talking about before, that people identify with and get excited by stars. And horse racing's problem, particularly, I think, with the way the Triple Crown Series is constructed, is that the stars disappear. A horse comes along, you fall in love with it, and the next thing you know, you know it's, it's sold into the breeding shed because it's just too valuable to risk on a, on a racetrack again. And I think there's a couple things that could happen within that series that would help it in terms of, of keeping horses around a little bit. I think possibly the Triple Crown Series should be a four-year-old series instead of a three-year-old. Three-year-old horses are like teenagers, and they break down. And when they go from two-year-olds, the, the training that they have to go into for distance races, there's three distance races, you know, three in the, in the space of five weeks, it's just brutal. It's just absolutely brutal. So, A, you don't get to develop as many stars in the Triple Crown Series. You don't get as much of a chance for a triple crown winner and 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 b they did some of the great ones just break down and i also think one thing that could help can you imagine if you had like the last three or four kentucky derby winners or triple crown hopefuls or breeders cup champions all going up against each other in the breeders cup classic like eight or seven or eight really identical unidentifiable first class elite horses that would be great. people would get really really instant i mean if you have an arrow gate going up against you know california chrome and you know you, you whatever you name you name the horses i think that would be fabulous and i will tell you something that will never ever happen but i think it i think the if it did happen horses would be more able to stay on the racetrack and have longer careers and that's that I think that the, the jockey club has to allow for artificial insemination of thoroughbreds. And I know this is really off the topic on your show, but every thoroughbred uh, right now has to be a live cover. In other words, without getting too graphic, the horses have to actually do it. So, but if you could bank, you know, some of, some of the progeny and keep them on the racetrack and still have that as an insurance policy if they did get hurt, or weren't able to go into the breeding shed, I think people would be more apt to keep their horses on the track, and, you know, who knows, their value might go up. Now, that will never, ever happen. I was going to say, I, I await the people. calls from ethicists about the merits of that for you, Bob. And the, and the male horses. And the male horses. Yeah. But, but, Bob, I did have one well, question but, for but you. But every other breed of horses, I mean, warm bloods, 
uh, you know, all the equestrian horses, those are not live covers. Those are all artificial inseminations. And they, you know, that, that breed is not only surviving, but, but uh, getting better and better. Bob, you've so, taught me so much more in this interview than I ever thought I was going to learn. <laughs> so anyway, that would keep horses on the track because you wouldn't be so darn afraid they're going to break its leg. And you have to shoot it, and you can't get $10 million in the breeding shed. Yeah, but, but you've, already, you've already put it in the bank, okay? <laughs> yeah, but, Bob, my, my question is, it, it, let's say it moves to four-year-olds, and that seems to be a, a, good, a good start. My question is why the the Triple Crown series doesn't make the people the horses that are racing race in all three so that so that there's always that equal opportunity because you see these horses that are held back for the Belmont that haven't raced in the Preakness and the Kentucky Derby and obviously they're going to have an advantage because they're a little more well rested and haven't gone through that over the last you know, two races which are very in a very condensed period of time. I don't understand why they allow that because it creates unfair advantages, and it ruins the chance of having a triple crown winner. Uh, okay, well, well, the second thing I would I would uh, suggest, uh, along with the, uh, being a four-year-old series, is to, is to lengthen the series. In other words, it's not two weeks after the Kentucky Derby where you have the Preakness, and not three weeks after that where you have the spread it the out Belmont. a more. So, right. Maybe one a month or you know whatever. And of course, people would go crazy over that. But uh, the problem with your suggestion, and I understand your suggestion, is that okay, I ran the Derby. My horse didn't do very well. I don't want to run the Preakness. I want to run. I want to wait and run the Belmont. Okay, my horse has a has a sore hoof. You, what are you going to make him run? You, you as the jockey commission, you're going to make him run? No, but then you say sorry. Then you can't run in the Belmont. There has okay. I'm I'm not saying I, I thought about that that what you're you're raising, but I've always had this this concern more less about the issue you're raising than than the the breeders who hold out horses until the Belmont, because every year you see a couple horses that don't race in the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness, and it's not usually because they're hurt, but they seem to be held out, and it gives them an advantage going into it because it is such a short period. I mean. They have three races in a period of what five weeks, six weeks. It's, it's five just, weeks, yeah. Yeah, so it's a, it's a very short period of time for the stress that's on their legs. Yeah, I mean, I I understand what you're saying. In a perfect world, that would be that would be better to have, but I just don't see the way you could. It, well, yes, you could enforce it by saying you can't enter the Belmont if you don't enter both the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness. But I'm not sure that's legal. By the way. <laughs> well, we we would love to have you come back on in the future and talk more about the horse racing, uh, catch up to speed on. Oh, the, oh and NBA. by the way, wait, let, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it this way. Let's sure. very quickly. Let's do it this way. There's a super, super, super horse, an arrogate type horse who, for health reasons, isn't able to run in the Derby and the Preakness, but is going to be healthy for the Belmont. Super horse. No one can wait to see this horse. Are you going to tell Belmont Park that they can't enter him Jeff? And, and add 30,000 people to the gate? Are you? I don't think you're going to. Yeah, I probably wouldn't, but the pro, But for the casual uh, viewer of, of horse racing, it really comes down to three races, and if, it, if, it, if the horse that wins the Kentucky Derby doesn't win the Preakness, then it becomes a two-race series because I don't think the casual, I, I the casual viewer is not st- sticking in to watch the Belmont, even though people tell them that the greatest horse about to run 
is is not been in the first two and now is going to be on the hey, third. Bob, we could keep you on yeah. and talk all night. We'd be perfectly happy, but we think you want to enjoy your holiday weekend, too, a little bit. <laughs> we do thank you for coming on and joining us. We'd love to have you back on again. We enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Bob. Have a great holiday. Anytime, fellas. It was great. Take care. Thank Take care. you. Um, so, Jeff, before we go to break, I just have to say I can't stop thinking about the idea of you in a jockey outfit with a commissioner hat as the jockey commissioner right now. Oh, so now we're going to make tall jokes. Well, and look, that's okay, I mean, right? if you're going to make short jokes, I'm just happening to say that he said jockey commissioner, and you're not quite the shortest person out there. And if we could get you in one of those outfits with a hat, it may boost our ratings. By the way, jockey commissioner isn't what's going to boost our ratings from that conversation. <laughs> no, that definitely not. I did learn a bunch there. I'll take us to break real fast uh, because when we come back – Jeff, you're going to educate us a little bit on how the Washington football team will be getting their trademark uh, ranked. You call it offensive. We'll have a little debate about that. I don't, I'm not going to argue that it's not, but we'll talk about it when we come back. If you want to join the conversation, 888-728-9941. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.NewJerseyShares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. And we're back. This is the Heart of Sports. You're listening to Jeff Cohen and Jason Springer on 610 AM Sports ESPN Radio. If you want to join in the conversation, number is 888-728-9941. Hey, Jason, can I just ask you a question? Sure. What was your favorite transaction of the week? Uh, the Portland Trailblazers transaction, actually. I would like to thank their Twitter account. <laughs> they were wonderful. Um, Portland made a trade where they got back cash considerations. And actually put a tweet out welcoming cash considerations with a fake quote from them about how, how excited they How do you know it was they, fake? I didn't think that they really had that much to say. Cash speeds. I thought they would have been more excited to be in Portland, frankly. <laughs> um, their quote was, this trade's a blessing. I'm ready to grind Rip City. I think I can make an immediate impact on our floor via cash considerations. And it was a bag of cash. Right? It was a bag of cash yeah. in front of the Portland logo. So kudos to the Portland Twitter account. I'm a big fan of following what type of media these teams use to relate to people, and I found that highly entertaining. And that'll be the only comment on the Portland Trailblazers ever for the rest on of the year. Sh- ever on this show. Forget <laughs> the rest of the year. We're never going to talk about yep. them again. But what we will talk about right now, I, I missed you last week, Jeff, because – I needed legal guidance. Did you hear the whole Philadelphia area go, oh. No, nobody really cared. 
But I needed legal guidance yeah. because a court made a decision last week, and now the Washington Redskins are allowed to keep their name, right? Supposedly. Well, they were always allowed to keep their name. All right. So tell our listeners what happened. I know that you sent out a legal brief on this or an update, so I'm now educated apparently, but teach me. Did you read the whole thing? No, of course not. Of course I read not. the intro yeah, paragraph that's right. yeah. so that I could tell you that I read some exactly. of your thing. Yeah. But I read some. Go ahead. So, so so what happened was is there there was a case called Mattel versus Tam, and it was in the United States Supreme Court. So I Court. got to that part. There you go. And it's not about like Tam Tam Crackers nope. or anything like They're that. They're a band. Yes. So there's a rock band that re- refers to their name as The Slants. Yes. And it's an Asian rock band. Yes. And so w- they applied for a trademark. And in the trade, you apply for a trademark at the United States Patent and Trademark Office. There's an examiner who examines the trademark application. Okay. And their trademark was rejected. Why? Because it it was derogatory to a large part of the population. Okay. In particular, to the Asian community. Okay. Even though it was an Asian rock band that was trying, their point was just so they you know they were not trying to do anything negative. They were actually trying to take back the name. The name and make something good. Exactly. So, so, so they challenged it, it. They challenged it. It's gone all the way up to the United States Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court last week ruled that that is a violation of freedom of speech to stop them from using that name. So why so, does anybody in the sports world care about this decision? Because of the Redskins. Why? Uh, which, by the way, I, I don't even like saying the name. I know you don't. You yeah. put the Washington and, and football that's team not, in there. Yeah, it's and not just because I I, I don't like <clears throat> the team in, in, in Washington. I mean, I'm not a fan of saying the name, but, I mean, they uh, that is their team name. So It's it's their team name, but that doesn't make it right. So so Redskins, let's face it, is, is derogatory, derogatory to a large part of the Native American population. Its its logo is is somewhat offensive. Well, no, not as offensive as the Cleveland Indians. The logo. Chief Wahoo logo, which yes. they brought back. That I don't understand. <laughs> we can get to that in a, in a second. But so Washington did apply for a trademark on on the Redskins a while ago, and that was also rejected. But now, as a result of this, the USPTO examiners have been given instruction this week that they're no longer supposed to consider whether or not a trademark is derogatory. So the so Redskins like I will could now trademark something about you, and it could be the meanest thing ever, and they're not allowed to look at whether it's derogatory of you. Well, if it's an individual person, I don't know if the, I think they'll find a way to do something. But if it's to a the general pop a general population or group, I don't think that they're going to do something. And, and so, yes, I fear that what's going to happen is there's going to be a run on derogatory trademarks. Is a, you know, that every group is going to try to find something offensive to trademark, and it's going to be a circus. I I really hope that doesn't happen. But the larger issue is, it was nice to see that the, that they had held back the Redskins from trademarking it. It does not mean it did not mean they couldn't use it. It meant that they couldn't really protect it. Yes. So now they're going to be able to protect it, which gets us to the larger issue of why in the world do they keep that name? And and I really do not understand. I've never understood why they are adamant about keeping that name, and I don't want to hear because it's tradition. That's not a good argument for you. No, it's not. A, How about the people? There that, are and lo- I'm just playing devil's advocate. There are advocate. lots of people who have done bad things in this world who say – that it was tradition, so it's okay to do it. And I'm just it. playing devil's advocate. What about the people that are saying you're being too politically correct and sensitive? I, I'm tired. It's not. It's not about being politically correct. Why do you need to use an offensive trademark? Don't yell at me. I I'm, agree with no, you. No, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not yelling at you. But I. But I. I really don't. I don't understand it. That look, the NFL is about what? Making money, right? 
So the second they'd they change more their... money if they change. That's, that's what I said to you the other day. Yeah. If they change their name to the Washington Hogs, yep. because have, a lot of their fans wear pig noses anyway from back when they had their offensive line, and they take pride They're in wearing that. them. They wear They're not pig real. No- well, that's up. There. Come on, be nice. I'm just saying. How much money would they make on rebranding everything? It's like the Eagles going back to much bigger than the bag of the money Kelly that was in the Portland Trailblazers. It was in the cash yeah. considerations. Right. So, what is the reason? Well, that- well, Schneider is, is Schneider. I mean, he's he's always obstinate. But I don't really get it. Just like I don't understand the Cleveland Indians. The Cleveland Indians had actually moved to using that cursive I and the C. And, yeah, and and people seem to like it. And then all of a sudden, Chief Wahoo appeared again. And I don't, he was back on the sleeve during the World Series. And I don't understand why they did that. Okay. I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to let everybody read your legal uh, opinion. Mumbo Jumbo? No, I wasn't going to say that. (laughs) I was not going to call it that. But if you'd like to, be my guest. (laughs) Uh, I want to give you a chance to talk Phillies. We got two minutes left. All right. Nick Williams is now on the big team. He is. We'll see how long he's here, though. Scott Kingry's hitting home runs left and right. He's hit three in this week since being called up from triple to AAA. So you know that Crawford's hit two home runs in 63 games, right? whoop de doo yeah. Like, you, you're aware he's of He's not that. coming up this year. No, he's not coming no. up. Uh-uh. Um, more injuries this week. Kendrick, which, look, he was having a great season. Um, he was the one veteran, the bright spot on the team. Um, I think he was going to be a good trade trip. We got to hope that this injury is just a 10-day injury and it goes away. Not because we need him to play on the Phillies this year, but because because we need to trade him. All right. We, before we hop off the line, we've got a recovering Jeff Rutberg calling in. Uh, Jeff, how you doing? We've got about a minute left before we go off the air. They got a hi. How I'm, you, I'm good. Hey, I'm Jeff. good. Uh, how you doing? Um, uh, Jeff, I disagree with you. Well, I don't disagree with you regarding the Redskins. But, uh, um, well, make up your Washington, mind. <laughs> well, here it is. The, the team means it's a fighter. It's a uh, warrior. It's a, a uh, the, there is uh, there is no place on earth that redskin means fighter. If, if well, you're if I'm, you're talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm good. I get it. But okay. because that because the, that's the like brain, calling it a general. There is no the place Braves. on earth that the name Redskin well, means the, fighter. The, the Atlanta Braves. The no, you, uh, no, you were talking about Redskin. Redskin is, Braves, is yes. not in any way meant as a fighter. Yeah, and native. Okay, so what? Do you, what, do you, what would you change it to? Whatever they want that they can make money from. Okay, well, there's well, just well, absolute. There's no about, reason to offend that larger population. Would Would you be against Reds? I think I think that Jeff would be fine with them doing there anything is a Cincinnati that, Reds. that doesn't uh, offend anybody. But uh, Jeff, no, 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 no. It's not that it doesn't offend I anyone. Continue, I want to continue this though because we're out of time on the show. And Jeff Rutberg, when you come back next week, prepare your take and have it for Jeff Cohen because we got to sign off in a minute. But we'll okay, continue this, good. okay? All right, good show. You keep I, up I, your recovery, okay? All right, thank you. Have a good one. All right, Jeff Cohen, we are over on time and we're going to have to run off. You prepare your arguments back for Jeff Rutberg next we, we week. We can't do another hour? Uh, it's, uh, you We're talk. just going to end up sitting in traffic anyway. you got to talk to the station about <laughs> that. They're really not going to give me the right to do well, that. Well, if we're, if we're signing off shortly, uh, everybody should know next week we will be having another good guest on. We will have uh, the assistant general manager of the Phillies, Scott Profrock. 
and we'll be looking forward to talking Phillies at that time. And we'll have plenty of questions for him about the team now and in the future, the minor leagues. We hope everybody has a wonderful holiday weekend. And remember, and safe. Be safe. Be safe and remember why you're celebrating this weekend. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on The Heart of Sports. Make sure to join us next Friday night, and we'll start your weekend in style. Have a great one. Happy Bye-bye. Fourth.